Hi, this is a Curating Indigeneity podcast. I'm your host, Tani Aton Harjo, Growing Thunder. Today we have a good friend with us. You want to introduce yourself? My name is Jonathan James Perry. You have a tribal introduction? Cha Wanikisak Natasois Jonathan Perry Nutomas Akonahanat Sankunai. How's it going? Uh, my name is Jonathan James Perry. I come from the Aquina community of the Wampanoag Nation located on Martha's Vineyard in Massachusetts out in the Atlantic Ocean. Awesome. So, how long have we known each other? Wow. Uh, let me think now. I can't remember exactly how long. It's probably since I was about... 17, 18 years old, maybe younger. Are we saying how old we are? No, I'm not (laughs) going to say that. (laughs) It was just a couple years ago. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, I don't know. uh, Just, I guess, from... How old are we? Indian country's small, right? I mean, it's pretty funny when you really think about it. There's there's so many people... It's like uh, 25 now years. You're, now you're really spelling it out to 20, everybody. Oh, sorry. How old we are. Yeah. Well, how long? Skimitsu like was 1993. <laughs> <laughs> it's been oh, five years now we know each other. Yeah, a couple of years. And so, um, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, Skimitsu, obviously, but, and then Brown uh, mm-hmm. University and the Happen Record Museum, Barbara Hale, and mm-hmm. all those cool folk. Um, and I can't think. There are probably other things, too, mm-hmm. uh, along the way, traveling around. Mm-hmm. Um, so Jonathan is a tribal council member for the tribe. How long have you been on council? Let's see. Uh, I've done, now I've completed almost the end of my fourth term uh, on tribal council for my tribal nation. And uh, we do three-year terms, so oh, pushing 12 years. Oh, wow. And you're up for re-election. Yeah, this November. Okay, so... So pretty soon. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, I, it's an honor and a privilege to serve my, my folks in that leadership capacity and be the voice of the people, ideally making as best a decision as I can at any given time. Mm-hmm. You know, but I think you're always you're always trying, you're always hoping mm-hmm. and and working for the betterment ideally you should be if you're in tribal government or any type of leadership position yeah. so you're you wanna share where your community is? It's quite interesting where you're you're from so. Well, as I said, we're from the, basically out in the Atlantic Ocean. So uh, there's a the island of Nope, mm-hmm. uh, which the uh, you know sort of English early explorers referred to as Martha's Vineyard. Um, but in actually, a New England uh, accent, <laughs> Martha's Vineyard. <laughs> when you when you're done parking your car in Harvard Yard, you go to Martha's Vineyard. And, you know, watch out for Jaws and get a bigger boat. And eat cranberries. Um, yeah, <laughs> Sassamini, the cranberry. Yeah, so um, 
Yeah, we're we're located on an island that's actually four times the size of Bermuda, which is just off of Cape Cod, um, Nauset, the place of the hooking land, um, in uh, coastal Massachusetts, and we see a lot of um, high winds from storms, and we have really interesting sunrises and sunsets on our on our little piece of Turtle Island with uh, very little light at night. Uh, they only electrified our tribal lands and our end of the island <clears throat> in the 1950s and still at night in the Inaquina when the lights go out uh, it's very very dark so looking at the night sky and uh, the the stars the Anakwasak it's um it's nice it's nice to be there mm -hmm. the the playground of the wealthy aspect of it is somewhat taxing on on our people mm -hmm. because of of the cost of land and resources and just the food and things of that nature that that make it pretty cost prohibitive it's very it's it's mm -hmm. always been taxing since it became an affluent place mm -hmm. uh for us and as a result we we have um have a hard time retaining young tribal members who don't have the 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 funds and and the ability to to purchase real estate so unfortunately a lot of tribal members move to the mainland, and, uh, and so our, our community isn't necessarily growing uh, on on the island. It's growing. Our tribal population's growing, but mm -hmm. but it is it's difficult to 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 grow in that space. Mm -hmm. Well, one thing that I want to share with our listeners is who you are as an educator, because you're quite knowledgeable as a young man, but not only that, we all rely on you quite a bit to teach us because you you just throw it down, smack down with the history and knowledge and I learned so much when I'm hanging out with you that you want to share a little bit about your upbringing and how you were raised to share the knowledge of accuracy of history. and Certainly. Uh, so... And I, and I appreciate that. That's, that's kind words. For... Smackdown? <laughs> well, I mean, you know. Uh, I, I think I have to give a lot of credit to some of the teachers, um, community members, and of course my, my family, my immediate family, in, in helping me to, to be grounded and understand my place and our history and history in general uh, it helps I think my mother uh, my mother was a school teacher in in the Northeast and she was a very good teacher she's very knowledgeable she's an art historian art artist and uh, by by her her training and and came from and we are I think considered a, a fairly artistic family Mm -hmm. Right, so, uh, my grand, my my um, uncle was a, a, a 
excellent painter and an, and an opera singer. My aunt was an opera singer and a uh, singer in general and, and a great artist. And uh, my mother is an excellent singer and, uh, and an artist. Uh, she's a scrimshander, which is uh, a, a very old style of, uh, of um, artwork that is a mix it's it's kind of a mix of uh different cultures from around the globe actually that came together in this like scrimshanding tradition uh decorating whalebone and ivory uh to from whale teeth and uh things of that nature um with inks and etched design work and and patterning which comes from a lot of different cultural backgrounds so you have influence there from uh, shell carving and wood carving and bone and, and ivory work and baleen baleen being the plates that uh, whales filter the the krill through so they push the water out through the the baleen plates so it's a it's an, an, a material that actually started to become hard to to get with the over whaling in the uh, industrial whaling days and uh, plastics were invented to replace it some corsets and certain types of fittings for things were, were made from whale baleen prior to plastic being a, a thing mm -hmm. but uh, so we would etch design work in that that goes back a very long time here. It also goes back amongst Maori and Aboriginal uh, cultures and um, people around the world, Japanese people. I mean, uh, you know, pretty much everybody who had access to uh, ivory and, and baleen had traditions like that. And so the whaling industry and these whale ships that would be out in the ocean sometimes for three, four, five years straight uh, harpooning and, and boiling the blubber uh, down to be um, the oil industry prior to you know crude oil being processed mm -hmm. uh, that that was an industry my people got heavily involved in being who we were being whalers tradition traditionally uh, from from our traditional vessels and, and subsistence whalers mm -hmm. uh, and then it, your, it your became, location. Yeah, it became part of uh, part of the industry that we fell into or, or helped to create, basically, and owned a good percentage of it in the early days. I think it would probably be shocking for a lot of people to realize that Native folks in the Northeast were some of the creators of the oil industry in a way, um, but not in that you know, what is perceived now is, is a pretty negative way uh, because of the destruction that it's caused. Whether you're talking about the over-whaling of the eight, late 18, early 1900s and mechanized whaling methods, or mm -hmm. whether you're talking about the, the uh, extraction system for crude oil and all, and, and the, some of the, the devastation from the fracking and all. Um, I, I guess, you know, I guess in, in, in some ways we all own parts of that. 
um, anyone who drives cars or comes from whaling people or mm-hmm. you know leases their land out or you know whatever we're mm-hmm. all tied to some of this stuff mm-hmm. but the um, I don't think people realize uh, you know there were very uh, very affluent um, northeastern native people owning ships and and uh, you know mm-hmm. processing and and selling whale oil which was the you know considered and still is considered the finest oil on earth mm-hmm. yeah so that was something but anyway that's a long and drawn out thing <laughs> mm-hmm. explaining kind of that that interaction point that we have with, with various cultures and how our people got into the uh, the um, ba- the baleen and, and whale ivory and bone carving that became the industry mm-hmm. uh, you know the scrim shanding industry yeah and so I grew up with my mother doing scrimshaw on uh, two or three pound uh, ivory teeth from um, from sperm whale uh, you know massive like you know some of them were 80 90 feet long mm-hmm. I don't even know how many tons those animals were and so my ancestors harpooned those whales and um, or sometimes even owned the ships that were out hunting them and then would you know take the bone and the teeth and all that and uh, yeah it wasn't the first time our people accessed all that we harpooned whales from our canoes our machoon in the ocean mm-hmm. the English when they came into our waters in the 1500s talked about our vessels being longer than their ships with larger complements of men and talked about us sailing by them mm. oftentimes would flee the coastline here and go other places because they said there were so many people on the water so many uh, of our ships out that they feared they would be quite easily overtaken and so um, sometimes you sometimes captains in those days would sail uh, from the main coast all the way down to Virginia they say before they would find a bay that wasn't thousands of native people and hundreds of vessels mm-hmm. and they would uh, they would find space down south sometimes where mm-hmm. they could uh, anchor and go <laughs> go to shore without having to deal with native people mm-hmm. you know or large quant- large numbers of native people mm-hmm. so, so the population oh. was huge and, mm-hmm. you know the activity on the sea was mm-hmm. constant it's not um, not like the lies that uh, you know appear in some of the writings that historians like to to use they're, mm-hmm. they're strangely avoiding the, all the stuff that was written that completely yeah. contradicts the unpeopled unpopulated landscape and mm-hmm. you know the wild lands that the they, they lands. Uh, came into it and said oh well nobody's here so we can take it well mm-hmm. you know nobody but those millions and millions of people over there that you know are living everywhere yeah. well that's really what the curating indigeneity podcast is about is land culture education knowledge preservation um so that's why i asked you to talk about that because it's a a 
a part of the podcast that we really haven't reached into is the sovereignty of education, but not only that, our authorities as Native people with these true and valid connections to our ancestors, but not only that, the accuracy is religion and history. And so I know one project that you're consistently working on is celebrating Wampanoag Day. And you want to talk a little bit about that? So... How do we get there? (laughs) How do we get to that point? (laughs) Yeah, well... I don't know. That's a... um, So I... I guess... I think knowledge and connectivity is... Is hard to... It's something that you can't really take credit for. It's a community thing, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, I think one of the reasons we've maintained our identity, why Native people oftentimes uh, are able to find successes and and continuance in very trying times, times of, of horrific, efforts to destroy us, enslave us, break us apart, bring mm-hmm. us down, starve us out, whatever, is always, it's always been the uh, community aspect, the, you know, retaining community structure and, and protocols and, and sharing resources and speaking as one voice um, and working together for the ideal uh, sort of outcome. And you know, so you, you're adaptive and you're, you're careful and you're thinking long term and you're, you're strategizing even if it's just over the tiniest resources in the most limited situation. Um, and so I think our education system is tied to that too. Our knowledge, our stories, our, our connection to space it's all tied to that community outlook and mm-hmm. that shared that shared resource, right? Resources mm-hmm. aren't just um, things that you could eat or sell, but they're they're your stories from your from your aunties and your um, your grandparents and you know all the the elders and loved ones around you. They're they're the songs and the dances. They're you know, the cooking, there, you know, the, those bits of knowledge, the, the bits of hope, and those, those connectors to your ancestors, you know, mm-hmm. the less, less tangible, but somehow way more important connectors. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's maybe one of the reasons why, uh, uh, my, my family has, has done so well as far as retaining and, 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 and getting to a point where we, we are considered resources in, in our tribal nation uh, for some of, some of what we know and, and our skills. It's that um, we had a family that was very active and, and always looking at and reflecting on, on the teachings and open-minded to... Um, you know, even just re- reconnecting or, or, or finding out things or, or searching and, and researching 
things that had been taken from us. Because I, I honestly can't say that, you know, we're intact people. We, we've suffered the same thing that a lot of tribal nations have suffered. And a lot of indigenous people around the globe have suffered, mm -hmm. right? So, you know, we had our language made um, illegal. We had our dances, you know, stopped. We had people who were taken away or imprisoned or executed or sold uh, into slavery or... Um, you know, we're preyed upon by, by all sorts of people. Um, so we had to stand together. We had to work together, and we still do so today. Mm -hmm. Luckily, as, as I said, my mother was a teacher, and she always taught us to understand and, and respect cultures around the world and, and see see all the various connecting points in history and to understand... Mm -hmm. Uh, why people do certain things and how they did them and what the strategies were um, you, that that there were oftentimes reasons that, that um, people treated native folks a certain way or mm -hmm. why they took took certain things away mm -hmm. or you know or and also why they valued certain people or you know mm -hmm. it's, so it's it's always interesting I think to look at where we where we have been and where we're going as a people and um, how how we've gotten to where we are right now it's it's um, it's hard to define I think in a, in a short interview mm -hmm. uh, it really Wampanoag people are still here and, and we are still continuing and we still have an identity and a land base and we still fight. Mm -hmm. You know, I think, I'm, I'm proud to come from a, a small native community in, in a sort of overlooked place that constantly sort of stands and fights, sometimes the, the big fights. Mm -hmm. um, uh, we fought the interior and... We fought, uh, you know, wind development in, in a place that was sacred to us in, in the waters near our, our uh, land base. And uh, we fought tooth and nail for many years to stop development in a place that is that figures prominently in our oral traditions and, mm -hmm. and in our ceremonies. And as a result, we were able to have, we were the first tribe that had a water body designated uh, a, uh, a um, tribal cultural district or, or a, a tribal cultural uh, property mm -hmm. for preservation. So it went into the National Register mm -hmm. as, as, wow. as a... That's never happened before in the United States. Yeah. Well, that's it's so important to understand the regional difference. And I, I've always known, not, I mean, not that I'm a know-it-all or anything, but I've always known of the tribes out east here and always been welcomed and included in the communities. And uh, part of that had to do with you. <laughs> it had taken me around introducing me, but... 
um, it's hard, like, when I talk about other happenings in the country and my neck of the woods out west, and some people haven't even heard of Wampanoag Tribe, or they've never heard of Narragansetts, and it's kind of hard for me to believe because it's a major force of American history of where thing, things were, and I'll have to share with our listeners back in the day, remember when... I was a teenager, and you took us to Plymouth Plantation, mm-hmm. and you showed me that rock. <laughs> yeah. And I started crying when I looked out at the water, and you were like, what's wrong with you? <laughs> and you were like, it's not even a real rock. It's like somebody found it and dragged it down the road. And, and, I know. And then I was like, well, that's where it all went wrong. <laughs> it, it's, such a, it's such a complicated history, right? Uh-huh. I mean, I think... I think that there's no comprehensive native education system in the United States that walks through mm-hmm. all the important aspects of tribal nations and, uh, you know, continuance and successes and failures or whatever, mm-hmm. um, and where people are located today and, and how we retained our rights or how we fought for our rights back and you know, how we're retaining our languages or any of those sorts of things. So we're we're part of that whole kind of Western compartmentalized system of of, uh, controlling things, right? Mm -hmm. So you block off, oh, well, you know, these Native folks live in this state and and we'll we'll talk about Native history and culture and things of that nature in this state maybe from their perspective maybe from their perspective yeah. <laughs> yeah. you know from a historical standpoint not a continuing one we're certainly not going to empower native people to talk about themselves mm-hmm. and paint them as as authorities mm-hmm. <laughs> and so of course people don't know that we're still here mm-hmm. the you know i've read so many documents i i'd love to see those I don't love it, but I, I see it all the time. Um, the, you know, here's here's so and so, last of the Wampanoags, and then it lists off their their children. And it's just amazing to me, like mm-hmm. how does that even make any sense? If yeah. it's the last of them, then I'm pretty sure they must not have had children, <laughs> or and, grandkids, and yeah. you know, so it's like you can't you can't have a long list of of the descendants of the last of someone. Mm-hmm. So it's not the last of them, and there's literally dozens of those articles or those writings and pictures of the last of the Wampanoags, mm-hmm. and it just doesn't work. You know, we have there are thousands of Wampanoag people, mm-hmm. and not only, you know, is our is our community here, but there are, there are a lot of Native people around the United States that actually have ties to my nation's. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and, and some of the some of the other nations in this area too, because yeah. we we fought quite a few wars and we mm-hmm. held the border for a long, long time. And some people got tired of fighting and they moved, mm-hmm. you know. So mm-hmm. if you can find Wampanoag family lines in the Stockbridge Muncie community, you can find them in some of the Haudenosaunee nations in both the U.S. and Canada in Passamaquoddy and Penobscot communities and, and mm-hmm. up in up into northern Canada, 
and in other places as well, I'm sure in the Great Lakes region. Mm-hmm. Um, and that doesn't even get into the whaling industry when Wampanoag people were traveling, some of the most traveled people on earth. I mean, they were, they were government-paid explorers with multiple ships who hadn't gone to places that Wampanoag folks were commonly going. Mm-hmm. Um, so Wampanoag folks were in Japan, they were in China, mm-hmm. they were in New Zealand and Australia, they were in the, you know, at the South Pole, they were at the North Pole, they were on the North Slope Borough, they were um, pretty much everywhere, mm-hmm. England, France. Oklahoma. <laughs> oh yeah, well some <laughs> of us got over there. So, so, so I mean, you know, folk, folks out here were very well traveled and married into places. There's, there's um, Wampanoag, Wampanoag folks from Martha's Vineyard, from even my my own immediate family line, that uh, married into Maori communities, and you know, there's, there's I think hundreds of folks who dis- you know, are descendants of, of. Uh, some of those Wampanoag men who married Maori women, mm-hmm. and uh, that that in and of itself is is interesting, you know. I mean, where it mm-hmm. is really, I guess at this point there'll be never <laughs> a last Wampanoag, but yeah, you know, well, it may be maybe uh, other cultures and other parts of their family line will take uh, yeah. take over, have taken over, but. Well, it's just like mm. a catchphrase, though, like, last to Mohicans, last oh, to yeah. the Apache. We're rid of them. We won. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We won. <laughs> you <know>? Yeah, right. <laughs> but, well, yeah. I mean, we, we, I don't know, we're, we're mm-hmm. definitely being coastal people. We're definitely taking the, some of the earliest hits. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and, and that's the, really where the Scandin- Ameri- yeah. Scandinavian people were probably in this area, mm-hmm. so we you know, we definitely know Leif Erikson and people like that. And 1100 were active north of here. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, it's very likely that the Scandinavian, the Viking folks, quote-unquote, would have been active in this area. The mm-hmm. Basque and Portuguese were active in this area very early on, pre-Columbus, really, mm-hmm. uh, from, from what a lot of... Uh, research shows mm-hmm. um, and then and then obviously the Dutch English French and then the Spanish and Portuguese in the 1500s and 1600s so if you think about it technically the northeastern native people held held the border here for almost 600 years mm-hmm. against invasion mm-hmm. before sicknesses and all that opened started opening up Mm-hmm. areas where you know people like the English and the Dutch took advantage the French to the north of us mm-hmm. um, so this is definitely a misunderstanding um, and a lack of education in Indian country in general mm-hmm. because I constantly have to hear about how oh you guys let them in mm-hmm. <laughs> you know oh, and you hear that a lot hear that? but it's really funny I mean we're not we weren't the first people. Florida was dealing with the Spanish before we were dealing with with the English here, mm-hmm. and you know the tra- tribal nations down there. The Virginia colony predates any any settlement efforts in in Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. So, you know, 
in the other other areas too. Mm-hmm. The French were up north and in, in, in uh, the Maritimes before uh, before the English were here. So mm-hmm. so it really wasn't. I don't know. It, it, it's just not the way it, it, that it's perceived. Yeah. I think it's because of the Thanksgiving holiday, really. Yeah, Thanksgiving's that, jacked that's, it all up. That's what's messed it up, because you have this farce of a holiday that that uh, mm-hmm. is, is completely made up for economic purposes and, and, uh, and stereotyping mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, that's based off of couple of sentences of an acknowledgement of, of people having a harvest feast sometime in in the time of like uh, corn harvest moon and all that mm-hmm. and uh, you know probably were hunting ducks and, and things that you typically would hunt at in this area at the time of harvest mm-hmm. no no turkey dinner in November with the harvest what are you harvesting in, in Massachusetts yeah. you're harvesting snow <laughs> I wouldn't want to be trying to pick corn at that point. I wouldn't want to be sitting down outside (laughs) eating in the cold. No, absolutely not. You're in your longhouse with a nice fire going and eating, uh, eating, you know, some roasted venison haunch and Mm -hmm. having some uh, maple and sassafras tea. Getting ready for a baby in the summer. (laughs) Jeez. A a baby in the fall. Well, and that's really what you're known for now. I mean, not that I'm like saying you're known for just one thing because you're known for a lot of different things. Um, are we supposed to laugh right there? No. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> Long pause. One wait. trick pony. Hmm. No, but you are a lecturer like at Yale and Harvard and Brown. and You've been around quite a bit. Is that a oh. bird in the <laughs> middle of the night? Audubon clock. Wow. Oh yeah, background. we're here in uh, Providence, Rhode Island, and <laughs> yeah. doing a podcast. We can hear birds. <laughs> yeah, it's late at night. Yeah. I'm tired. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. So you're known as a lecturer, think... and you you educate quite a bit on these topics. But not only that, you're a singer, you're a dancer, and that's I know you most as is a dancer, world champion at that. Um, pretty. Pretty good. <laughs> well, I, I don't know. I, I think I've always been interested, and in, a lot of my teachers were were speakers and involved in in educating. I think a lot of us somehow, some way, we educate. You know, in Indian country, I don't want to say that everybody's an educator and everyone's a lecturer. No, I not. it's not for everyone. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's that it's above everybody's head. It's not. It's just some people don't want to engage it. that way or, mm-hmm. or it's not their passion or, or that it's not something that um, they feel like doing for whatever reason. And I respect that. I think we educate in a lot of different ways. We... We educate sometimes how in how we carry ourselves or how we communicate non-verbally. We educate through maintaining our culture and our traditions. We educate through dance or song. We educate uh, through food and you know through community spirit. And there's so many different ways that we can educate. Just mm-hmm. existing, we're mm-hmm. educating, and I you know I commend native people here and and across the country 
And across the world, I think indigenous people who are really, they're transmitting that knowledge mm -hmm. in whatever way is right for them, whatever way that they, they've been empowered to do it. Uh, I have always felt that, and I've always been taught uh, through, you know, my family and teachers and elders, that you are to try to make a better place for for you and, and for your people and for your, your future generations. That's just, I think, pretty typical standard teachings in, in a lot of Native societies, you know, whether you want to say the seven generations or, you know, whatever whatever the tradition and practice is uh, for, you know, so many different Native nations. You know, ultimately, do we want our inheritance uh, that we hand down to our children to be exactly what we experience now or do we want it to be better mm -hmm. do we want uh, more tolerance and respect do we want more uh, recognition and respect and space and access to resources uh, for our future generations so that they're they live a better life mm -hmm. i mean we all know the the difficulty we've all experienced varying degrees of racism and intolerance and disrespect and and mm -hmm. uh, mockery mm -hmm. we also know you know that there's a lack of education there are a lot of people who would probably treat us quite different if they were educated mm -hmm. and if they understood the damage or the disrespect that they were carrying with them that they had been taught and that they, you know, half the time, I think, uh, go to it because it's a safe place that's been handed to them, and it's the only thing they know. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, um, if you don't educate, if you're, not, if you're not willing to at least try to improve the situation, then sometimes there's no one else, really. There's nothing else that's going to change that. You know, because someone else who isn't connected to our societies, their inheritance is, is what their, you know, uh, small-minded uh, grandfather or whatever handed them mm -hmm. down as a, uh, as a way to think about people who are different or, or Native people who are, you know, whatever, mm -hmm. In, insert racist comment here kind of <laughs> uh, education system so yeah. you know I think that's probably one of the biggest motivators for me as far as trying to connect with and, and, and reach out to open minded people or people seeking knowledge mm -hmm. about how how we are still here what we come from and that we have an intent to continue on into the future mm -hmm. to maintain ourselves our lands our resources to advance ourselves um, and and ideally to recapture some of some of the things that have been taken forcibly from us mm -hmm. well now that we learned all about you and what you do everything everything you do everything <laughs> yeah really there isn't anything that you can't do so I we talked before with Shanae Bullock about some of her projects with paddling and the machine and mm -hmm. that's one thing that you worked on that 
I was able to experience also. <laughs> you want to share a little bit about that, and then we'll go into your jewelry. Sure. Um, well, the I think the part of the motivation with the maritime trade and tradition mm-hmm. uh, and, and why it became somewhat of a passion of mine I think just comes naturally from being an island's native people and mm-hmm. having such a maritime history with my immediate family mm-hmm. up until now. I mean, really, when you live on an island, you know, you have to have a vessel, mm-hmm. right? I Any mean, kind, yeah. Even today, our tribal members, a lot of them have boats because mm-hmm. if you want to be guaranteed a... Uh, access to certain resources or, or just even to go to a Walmart or or a, a mall or, or see a, uh, a movie in a, in a 3D theater, you know, or go to certain, certain types of restaurants. You need to have a boat just to get there. Mm-hmm. And um, for our listeners, Martha's Vineyard is only accessible by ferry or by personal plane. boat. <laughs> plane. Or plane. You can plane. take small yeah. jump planes, you mm-hmm. know, uh, private jets and things like that. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, so I mean we're you know, if you if you if you can't catch that ferry, if you if you want to get off island uh, after nine PM basically, then you're doing it by yourself <laughs> in your boat or you're yeah. staying there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Till <laughs> morning. Know, till the morning. Um you know, so so emergencies are interesting, and you know it's it's a it's a different lifestyle, mm-hmm. it's a different sort of thing, I guess, but it it's familiar, I guess, to any island or or uh, or water water going, <laughs> you know, native folks, mm-hmm. but the um, machine. The dugout, the dugout canoes that my ancestors built, uh, have always inspired me, in the interest. Sorry. Sorry, <laughs> baby woke up. <laughs> the interest that um, that I have to to try to make some of those large vessels, and I w- I would love to be able to achieve some of the big ones that um, we stopped making when the old growth forests were cleared out here in our our territory. Uh, Once the old growth forests were cleared out, obviously only smaller vessels were were possible. Mm -hmm. And then eventually we were forced to do framed framed vessels, framed ships and things of that nature. and we did quite well with those as well, but um, I want I want to get back to uh, having nice paddles up and down the coast and having large vessels and uh, being able to do sails mm-hmm. and and long distance journeys and participate in things like like what happens in in Hawaii or uh, in in um, the northwest coast of mm-hmm. the U.S. Uh, those those inspire me. Um, I think I started making dugout canoes when I was in my teenage years, mm-hmm. and I've continued that on as much as possible. 
I, I can't think of how many dugouts I've made. Probably somewhere, I think I went, last time I calculated, somewhere around 30, 35 dugout canoes, something mm -hmm. like that. Do we need to stop or? We'll, we'll go ahead and um, get to your art. So one thing that we, we've learned about your teaching and your, your background and education and also to talk about who you are as an artist and you're quite accomplished with that too. And it's not good to say jack of all trades, but you <laughs> kind of do everything. Well... But that's who you are culturally. <laughs> yeah, I think, to be honest with you, um, it, it it's like um, it's like in the the Swapiak and the Wampampiak, the white shell and the purple shell beads, and how we weave them together in the wampum belts. Mm -hmm. um, you know, for us, the white shell represents health spiritual, mental, physical health. It's that white, it's that pure, it's that reflective light. Mm -hmm. And so when you weave the the white those white shells which represent that that health mm -hmm. and you and you take the sukopiak, the purple shell, and you weave that in, those represents the eyes of our ancestors, right? Mm -hmm. Those those dark beads. Mm -hmm. And so when you weave those beads together, you're weaving the two things that you need mm -hmm. to live well. Mm -hmm. uh, so you're take, you, you need health and you need knowledge, teachings. Mm -hmm. Everything else is provided by creation. Mm -hmm. And creators gave all these things life and put this land here and gave us a place to call home and and uh, so that that resource base and and that protective that space that that part extension of, of mm -hmm. us and in the earth and around us and the waters that that's there and all you need is the health and knowledge to be able to live in that space mm -hmm. so that's part of it's not everything about the the beads and the weaving mm -hmm. of the wampum belts and all, but that's part of it. That's mm -hmm. part of the teachings, right? And so I think ultimately, like my ancestors, I've always wanted to understand how to do what our people did and continue to do. Mm -hmm. and and to try to master it as best I can and understand the resources and understand the sacrifice of the beings that gave us the ability to do those things. Mm -hmm. So I need to know how to make a dugout canoe. I need to know how to go cohogging and fishing and how to, you know, make the things that my ancestors made and, and make the things that um, the adornment, for instance, understand metal, understand bone, understand stone, understand all these various things that are around us and part of creation mm -hmm. and connect to those things. And, you know, I want to be able to, uh, to not only 
continue the traditions and the practices, but also to respect all those varying things around me mm-hmm. uh, and, and connect in, in all the ways possible to connect. So part of it is for me, part of it is to teach uh, my son and, and to teach any other tribal youth that would listen and, and spend time with me. I try to mentor as much as possible. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, that is one thing that you find when you come to your house here, that you're very welcoming and there's always an open door. Just, and toys on and, the floor now. And toys. <laughs> My house is the exact same way. That's the beauty of having a two-year-old, right? <laughs> toys everywhere, well, no matter how many times you clean. Yeah, you turn around and back out. <laughs> uh, well, it doesn't change. We range from 6 to 24 <laughs> when they so get older just get more expensive they right? do yeah mm. uh, it becomes an iPod or a phone cord or something or a car <laughs> yeah a car in the front yard it doesn't go anywhere but yeah um, part of that is seeing how much you are able to contribute back to the community and that's something that means a lot to a lot of us because you provide so much and um, it's evident of who you are as a good person and a good educator. And I've come in the door sometimes here at your house and seen groups of young men carving paddles. <laughs> or um, You've got an anvil in the middle of the floor hammering out a piece of jewelry <laughs> for something. Or a um, sewing machine going to town on the kitchen table or something. But it... It's living, and I guess that's what we want to teach our listeners and let them know that it's a living art and it's every day. It it lives within us on to the next generation, so that's what... Absolutely. Yeah. I think it, it's, for me, I, I have a hard time defining myself. Mm-hmm. I, I think maybe some people look at me and think, yeah, that man's kind of crazy, <laughs> you know, and I, maybe, maybe they're silly. right, but, um, but to be honest with you, I find that I'm most excited when I'm challenged with something, when I'm working with materials that I'm learning as I'm trying to work with them, when I'm trying to understand new, new ways of manipulating metal or when I'm making an effort to shape certain things, achieve achieve a design uh, that re- represents me and my understanding and my place, but also is a nod to my ancestors and their work, and mm-hmm. so I just think of I think of it as. Uh, giving life to the materials around me that I work with uh, in part through the the teachings and the connection to my ancestors and how how they've helped to form who I am and I'm forming this form this piece of artwork out of something because of what they formed me out of mm-hmm. so um, it's I guess I I like that excitement and that challenge. I 
it oftentimes will bounce around between materials for that reason or try new things mm -hmm. or incorporate new ideas but always staying somewhat grounded in the traditional teachings and the traditional symbology and the 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 education and the, the space that I come from, the mm -hmm. materials that I come from. Mm -hmm. Things that mean something to to my ancestors, me and hopefully the future generations as well. Mm -hmm. Well, I thank you for your time. I really appreciate you sharing so much about your history and I mean tribal history, not your history like your from the seventeenth century. <laughs> <laughs> but where can the last we, of no. the last of Jonathan Perry Wampanoags, <laughs> which keeps going because we see cubs. I know. Uh, the next survived generation. by yeah. <laughs> insert genealogy here. Yeah, insert multiple layers of genealogy. <laughs> yeah. Well, where can our listeners find more information about your art or your? Oh, your let's see. Well. First, uh, wait, first, we oh, got, we got to vote for you. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> wait, first. <laughs> Shameless <Yeah>. plug for <laughs> Tribal Council <laughs> on yeah, November Dolphin, or something. Yeah, <laughs> in November. I don't I forget what day, maybe the 19th or something. <laughs> Make sure Come you're... out to Aquina if you're a tribal member. Yeah. And you're in flight or travel distance. <laughs> Make sure you get no. a ferry. <laughs> yeah, don't miss the boat. Yeah. You don't have... They have to vote in person? Mm-hmm. Oh, my gosh. Oh, yeah, we're awesome. old school. <laughs> wow, no absentee ballot. No such thing. Oh. <laughs> Renegades. Wow. <laughs> well, so that first plug... But then also where we get more information about your lectures, is there a way we could contact you on a Certainly. website? Certainly. Well, actually, I have my, I could probably do more with it and maintain it better, but uh, you can go to jonathanjamesperry.com mm -hmm. and see my website. See a little bit of my artwork. Uh, I have to say it's not... Um, the body of my work certainly it's it's just a sampling uh in there i think one of the one of the pieces that i have a picture of currently is the uh steatite pipe or soapstone pipe that i carved that was used as uh the design for the commemorative uh coin uh struck by the u.s mint uh a number of years ago mm -hmm. so part of the uh the one dollar Sacagawea coin series, mm -hmm. so that's that that's you can see the original <laughs> yeah. uh, piece that they used for that. I actually got three and coins the other day. I was looking, I was like really hoping it was an eagle on the back. I have so maybe I'll hook you up. <laughs> um, and then uh, yeah, there's just a, a a small sampling of of stuff. But mm -hmm. to be honest with you, a lot of my work isn't there just because I don't want it to be duplicated in other mm -hmm. parts of the world, yeah. <laughs> mass-produced well. and sold somewhere. Uh, so best, you know, if you're interested in some of my work, I can definitely, mm -hmm. you can contact me. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and lectures and things of that nature, you can definitely reach out to me there as well. It's probably your best bet. Okay. Well, I thank you and Leah for allowing me to crash just go around and uh, 
given yeah. us some smackdown on the history. Yeah. What were we talking about earlier about, what was it? Do we only feel like we're the only ones talking sometimes <laughs> in the academic world? And we're, what was the quote? Oh. There's no, how they're going to deal with us? Oh, when yeah, no... what was that? Well, it was in the, that documentary Rumble, right? There's yeah. uh, there's no demographic for us. Yeah, so how there's, are they going to deal how, with us? Yeah, how are you going to deal with us? There's no demographic for us. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's thank definitely... you, John Trudell. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, insert, that sounds like an exhibit right there. Yeah, insert citation. <laughs> yeah. Rumble. Rumble. September 20-something. <laughs> <laughs> well, I thank you and say mado to you for your time. Um, listeners, make sure you go to Spotify, Apple iTunes, or Google Play. This is a free download at Curating Indigeneity. Follow us on Instagram social media at Curating Indigeneity, and also, you want to say goodnight? All right, Wanina Khan, Katabatash, and Pishka Nanamu. All right, goodnight, thanks.